I don't think anybody here needs to be reminded of the fact that we live in the most perilous times in all of history and certainly in one of the most perilous times in the history of the United States. I've never known a day like this. You've never known a day like this. Therefore, in times of challenge and fear and frustration, uneasiness, depression, everywhere you look, questions are being asked. And I look around and I ask, where are the heroes? Where are the heroines? Where are those in any area of life today, commercial area, educational area, religious area, you go on and on, name every area of endeavor in every institution, and you look for somebody who has integrity, who has vision, who is committed, who is simply transparent and obvious. Where are those people? What's happened to us? We have elected and put people in responsibility, all of us who tragically are too much like all of us. So therefore, we're in a SOS, save our ship environment. No question about it. So where do we get answers? Where do we look? We've looked at everything you can imagine, but we haven't yet looked up. And that's exactly what we must do. In the Old Testament, a lot of us just jump through it. The Old Testament is full of prophecy about the coming of Jesus. The Old Testament has principles of living, Proverbs, the Ten Commandments. The Old Testament tells us how God selected a peculiar people of all people on the world, the Israelites, the Jews, and that little backward country to be his folks to get special revelation so they in turn would take the unique truth that God imparted them and they would explode it all over the world. So we look at the Old Testament. We need to look at it a different way because in the Old Testament there are illustrations that give us principles as to how God operates in the affairs of individuals, families, nations, communities. So I thought we'd just sort of back up and do something a little different today and look at those things that can be learned. We're gonna take a little quick trip with those Israelites. We're gonna see what they learned in the wilderness 
We're going to see what they learned at a place called Elam. And we're going to see what can be learned when you bathe in the muddy old river Jordan. So open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Exodus, second book in the Bible, chapter number 13. And in this particular chapter, the Israelites now, if you know anything of biblical history, Moses had used judgment upon the Egyptians and they had let the people go and they were leaving Egypt, going to the promised land, and then something happened on the way. Look at verse 17, Exodus 13. And then it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them, listen, by the way of Philistines, although that was near, Verse 18, so God led the people around the way of the wilderness. Isn't that interesting? The near way to go from Egypt to Canaan, the promised land, you know, that was a quick way to go, a straight route to go. It's about 200 miles. By camel caravan, it would take normally about 10 days. By airplane, it would take, you know, an hour. And here they left Egypt, and instead of going in a straight shot through the land of the Philistines, it says God led them about. God led them to take the long way around in a trip that should have lasted, you know, maybe 10 days. It took them 40 years. How about that? 40 years. There are no shortcuts in life, ladies and gentlemen. The book of Hebrews said they did not go into the promised land because of their disbelief, their unbelief. What does that mean? It means they were not allowed in the promised land because they were not ready to go in the promised land. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to understand that there are really no shortcuts in life. When I was in school in geometry, they taught us the shortest distance between two points is a straight line, right? If you still believe that, you haven't kept up because Mr. Einstein challenged Mr. Euclid and Einstein won. That's really not true. So, so the idea that they could go from Egypt to Canaan in a short period of time, did not take place. God led them about, turned them around, and they spent 40 years in the wilderness. A long, long time. It's hard to go from being a slave to being free. It's hard to go from a slave to being of habits and sin and know you're forgiven and set free. It doesn't happen like Zip. It's not a quick process. I doubt many of you have noticed, maybe some have, today is a historic moment. June the 12th, 1987. Does anybody know what happened? Don't tell me, lift your hand. 
whoa, historic moment, historic moment. President Ronald Reagan stood at the wall there in Berlin, in West Berlin, and he looked at that wall and he said, Mr. Khrushchev, tear down that wall today, about 35 years ago. And we know in 1987, that wall was torn down. An amazing thing happened. Those who'd been under communism in East Germany for so many years, they just ran when the wall came down. I've got a piece of the wall right around that corner in my study. Somebody brought me a piece of the actual wall. I've been to Berlin. I went there through the gate and I went into East Berlin and saw the contrast between East and West and it was radical. If anybody thinks that communism and socialism work, all you have to do is visit a communist or socialist country and the argument is over. So the wall came down and all those who'd been in captivity, they ran over to West Berlin, family and friends. They had great reunions, a wonderful thing, but a strange thing happened in the process. Some months and about a year went by and a lot of those who had been in captivity, virtual slavery for so long under communism, they were uneasy with their freedom in the West because now they were independent. They had to make all their decisions. They had to work. They had to move into the economy. And there was a lot of confusion at that point. It's not an easy thing to go from slavery to freedom. It takes some time. There are no shortcuts. We're all looking for shortcuts, but when the Jews left Egypt, the Bible says that there was a short way, but God turned them around and led them through the wilderness for 40 years. What happened in those 40 years? A tabernacle was built. They learned how to worship. Organization was put in so the people were cared for by units. The Ten Commandments was given so they knew how to live in the world in which they were called to live. In other words, these were years of preparation to prepare them for the promised land. But we in America, all of us, I'm a prime example. I get in traffic and everything's backed up and I, oh my goodness, what in the world? Who's having up there? And I don't realize what a good chance just to be still, chill out. But we begin complaining. We're so impatient. We want instant everything. Someone told me that they were shopping with a young daughter, and the young daughter picked up something from the counter and said, Mommy, look, let's take this home. And the mother looked at us, oh, no, no, you have to cook that. You see, we want instant everything, instant education. The book, The One-Minute Father, The One-Minute Manager. I mean, we live in a world that's in a hurry, but tragically, most of us don't know where we're going and we'll never know when we get there. But we're in a hurry. We're moving. We're restless. We want instant gratification now, if not in a minute. And we don't like the roundabout ways God takes us, do we? You won't know the name. Bud Post. 
Bud Post, a few years back, won the lottery in the state of Pennsylvania, $16.2 million. Hello. And Bud was thrilled, but he immediately got sued for an ex-girlfriend for part of the loot, and she won justice. And then his brother put a contract on him, a hitman, to kill him so he would get the inheritance. He found friends and family he didn't even know he had. Everybody said, oh, Bud, you can help us. You can bail us out. And so he went through a turbulent period until finally he bought an airplane. Two-motor plane, didn't know how to fly, didn't know anything about maintenance. Then he said, well, he went and bought a restaurant, and he knew nothing about the restaurant, had no way to run it. And finally, he owed a million dollars he had borrowed at the bank, and then he declared bankruptcy. It happened in one month. One month, $16.2 million. You see, Boy, if I had all that, if you had all that, let me tell you something, folks. God knows we're not ready for a lot of things. It takes a time to build, to understand, to move, to develop, to mature. That's sanctification. That's growth in the Lord. You don't say, lightning struck me. I'm a brand new person in Christ. No, it takes some tough times. We have to spend some time in the wilderness in the wilderness. All of us will spend time in the wilderness. Use that time. Cherish that time. Let that time mature you as we, as we grow up. Jesus said, remember, consider the lilies, how they grow. Lilies don't just pop up. Next one. Look, look at a big old oak tree. My goodness, how long did it take God to put that tree together? See, there, there's no instant things in nature. When I was coming up, we always had a little garden. My dad would get a box. Most of you know nothing about this. He would plant seeds, tomato seeds in that box, and he would cultivate until those little sprouts would come up. Then he would take it out of the box. We'd go to our little garden. He, he would prepare all the ground, punch a hole in it, put the tomatoes there in the hole, and pat them around. And then we'd wait a long, long time until finally tomatoes appeared. And I said, my goodness, this sure is a slow process just to get one tomato. See, that's, that's how life works. It's no flip bam, mash a button. It's a long way around. We spend time in the wilderness. God's doing something for you and me in the wilderness. Both of us who've lived for about 30 minutes, we've been in the wilderness. And that's why we get matured. Jesus after he came out of the wilderness of temptation, the devil appeared to him, wanted to tempt him. And by the way, you always tempted primarily at the purpose of your life. Follow me. In other words, whatever God has for you, whatever God's for me, that's the very point generally Satan is getting around to to tempt us, to miss God's purpose and calling for your life beginning today. And that was true of Jesus. And Satan said to Jesus in so many words, you want to win the world to God? 
You want the world to know you and know God and have a new life in you and life now. If you want that, I can give it to you instantaneously. Turn those stones into bread. (laughs) Feed the world. Let me tell you something. You'll get a lot of followers if you'll say, I'll take care of all your goods. I'll feed you. A lot of people will follow that. And then the next thing Satan said, he said, look, go to the top of the temple. Go up there to the steeple. And jump off, and everybody will see, and man, everybody be, be drawn. His boy, that's a Superman. They'll follow you. Shortcut. Feed the world, shortcut. Then took him to a high mountain and said, You see this whole world, all the people? Satan says, They're under my domain. Bow down to me, and bang, instantly, you'll have everybody in the world. And Jesus turned away and rejected all those shortcuts because he knew he had to go through a wilderness. And he had to end up on a cross. We're going through a wilderness right now, ladies and gentlemen. A wilderness of unbelievable stupidity and leadership in almost every domain. Let me say this. And I think all of you know I have spoken, hopefully, truth into power in every administration in the White House. The Senate, I've never backed up from any single one, Republican, Democrats, or who'd have thought it. But I'll tell you something. I don't know who is writing the script for our president, but recently he said, and he said a lot of stupid things that somebody has written. Recently, let me tell you what he said. He said, we have no problems now. The economy is getting better, except in transportation, gasoline, and food. So if you don't eat anything, you're going to go anywhere. We're in great shape. You can't buy stupidity like that. Now, it's going to take us a while to get out of the wilderness we're in. But in the wilderness now, you and I need to learn some lessons, some important, vital lessons in history. God led those people about by the way of the wilderness, and he may be doing that. I think he is right now in the United States of America, and we better learn the lessons we can learn in the wilderness, and there is, there are no quick fixes to healing and to health. The second thing, trip I want you to take is on the way to Elam. We learned the lessons of the wilderness on the way to the promised land. Now we learn the lessons of Elam. Look at it in Exodus chapter number 15. Verse 24, and the people murmured against Moses saying, what shall we drink? So they cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. Seems like God works with trees, whether it's a cross or in bitter water. When he cast it into the water, the waters were made sweet, and there he made a statue, an ordinance for them. And there he tested them and said, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, God says, I will not put, put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians. 
for I am the Lord who heals. And verse 27, then they came to Elam. Mind you now, they were still in the wilderness. Then they came to Elam where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. And so they camped there by the waters. I read that. Whew, I said, Lord, 12 springs of water. The water was bitter where they were. They couldn't drink it. They were murmuring, oh, we've gone in the wilderness. Moses led us here. God has led us here. Man, we'd rather go back to Egypt and be in slavery again. This freedom is too tough. And they were murmuring, 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 murmuring. You know a lot of negative people. Stay away from them. Run. Correct them. But murmuring, murmuring, they were complaining always complaining, always seeing the, the bad side of every situation and announcing it. And then finally, the tree was thrown in. The waters of Morah became sweet waters. And then God, in the middle of the wilderness, brought them to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. Doesn't that sound great? Ask any doctor here, what's the first complaint most of the time they hear from patients? You know what it is? I'm just tired all the time, doctor. I'm just, I'm, I'm just tired. I, I go to sleep tired. I wake up tired. I, I fade. In the, I'm just tired. You see, we have a whole generation that's tired worn out, beaten up. In fact, just to live through a day, let me show you what every person goes through. Just to live through one day, this is what happens to you. Your heart beats 103,369 times. Your blood travels 168 miles in your body. We breathe every day 23,040 times. We inhale 438 cubic feet of air. We eat three and a half pounds of food hopefully. We drink two pounds. We drink two pounds of liquid. We perspire a half pint. We generate 40 to 50 tons of energy. We speak about 4,800 words. We move 750 major muscles and exercise 7 million brain cells. That's just one day in your life, folks. So is it any wonder we're tired? We do get tired. And how we need, and I hope everybody will find daily, listen, daily, some place where there will be 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. There's a place like that for you. There's a place like that for me. And boy, they, they went to Elam, and they camped there, and they found 12 springs of water, 70 palm trees, that's the time we get quiet, folks. We sit back. We don't have to be all the time. How beautiful that is. I thought right now, find some time every day. I don't have time. <laughs> you had better have time. 
I had better have time. And find a time you can retreat and just be still. Who knows? God may say something to you. We don't have to always be broadcasting to him. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. We're going to do that at the beach retreat. It's built in. Build that in your life and find time for healing. That's what God promised. He's going to promise everybody who will find time, make time, discover that place, and you'll, what a good time it is to find 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. We learn something there at Elam. Everybody needs an Elam. And then the other lesson we learn is found in 2 Kings, chapter number 5. Long passage, but listen. Now, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master. Because by him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Mighty, but sick. Sound like any nation you know anything about? Mighty, but sick. Naaman was commander-in-chief of the most powerful army in the world. He'd won many, many victories. He had a chest full of medals and a five-star general under the auspices of the king of Syria, and they dominated the world. But he was a leper. And so suddenly a gloom settled on his house, his wife, his family, he tried to hide those spots with silken clothes, but the sun would come and he would see them and he said, man, I've got the whole world, all the military might of the world is at my disposal, and, but I'm a leper. So the king of Syria heard about it. And it happened interesting because there was a Jewish servant in the household of Naaman because the Syrians had taken Jews into captivity. Remember your biblical history? And there was a little servant girl, a little Jewish servant girl, there caring for Naaman's wife. And when she realized that the master, the commander-in-chief, was sick with leprosy, she told Naaman's wife, you know, back where I'm from in Israel, Canaan, there's a man there who heals folks who have leprosy. And so the word got to the king of Syria, and the Syria, Syrian king brought Naaman in. He said, look, Israel is a vassal. We control Israel. I'm going to write a letter, and you go down to Israel, and that guy in Israel who heals people at leprosy, I'm going to command the Jewish king to see that you be made well. And so he wrote a letter. And Naaman, in a few days, he gathered up a very impressive entourage. You can read in the Bible. Man, he had soldiers. He had gold. He had chains of garment. He had silver. He took a great procession, a great parade 
of all of his position and affluence, and they took off from Syria, and they made their way to Israel, and he was brought into the room of the king, and he handed the king the letter from the king of Syria, and the king read it, the Jewish king. He said, who does he think I am? I'm God. I can heal folks. And he got all upset. He said, he's trying to pick a fight with me. He's trying to mess with me. He's trying to come down and take over my nation. And then suddenly, the king began to tear off his clothes. The king of Israel. Man, they're going to come and just demolish us. But then there was a witness there, a, a little Jewish servant who told the king, you know, there's a guy, a prophet outside of town, way out there in the boondocks, named Elisha, and he heals folks who has leprosy. So the king told Naaman, with all of his impressive troops, hey, I'm going to send you out. There's a guy, a prophet, who heals people, and he wrote a note asking Elisha to do that. By the way, you notice the difference in Syria and the difference in Israel as to how power relates to power. The religious power in Syria was under the command of the king. The king of Israel was under the command of the spiritual power. Little difference, isn't it? And so Naaman took all his troops, all the way down, went to a little house way out there where Elisha was, and he goes and knocks on the door, and he says, I'm here. I've got a letter from the king that you heal me. And Elisha's servant came out, took the letter, took it into Elisha, and Elisha says, go out there and tell what's his name <laughs> to go into Jordan and go down to the Jordan, dunk in the Jordan seven times, and he'll be healed. So the servant came out and told Naaman that, and that was all Naaman could take. Man, he was a VIP. He was a big shot. He was really somebody. And how the king of Israel didn't seem interested in him, he's worried about being invaded. And now he goes down to this backwoods preacher prophet type, and the prophet doesn't even come out to see him. He just sends words, go tell what's his name, to go and bathe the Jordan sometime, and he'll be healed. And that was all Naaman could take. Not even Middle Eastern hospitality. Did they not know who he was? So Naaman gets all his troops together. He said, come on, we're going back home. I've been insulted. It's enough for me. Look, to go down and bathe in that muddy old river, Jordan, where all common sinners have washed and been baptized, he said, I'm not going to do that. He said, are not the Urbana and the Far Par? the rivers of Damascus, greater than all the waters of Israel. And ladies and gentlemen, that is literally true. Man, the Tigris, Euphrates, the, the waters of Syria are deep and beautiful and magnificent, pure and clean. He said, are not the abound in the far part, greater than that muddy old river, the Jordan, where all common sinners have washed? So he had a huff. He grains all these people. He takes off. They're marching back to Damascus. And on the way, one of his privates who served him must have come up and said, Commander, if that prophet had told you to do some great thing, give a lot of money, climb a mountain, 
do fabulous things. Would you not have done it to be healed? He said, yes. He said, how much better to go and wash in that old muddy old river where all common sinners have washed? Naaman didn't like it, but he went on a little farther and he noticed through the sun he could still see the spots on his arm and he stopped and turned around and went back to the Jordan and he took off the coat with all the ribbons and all the badges and he took off his shirt and took off his boots that had led many a battle and he went down and he went in the Jordan and as he went in he thought well I'll be the laughing stock of Damascus next week but he Went under one time, he went under twice, three, four, five, he came up, he was still sick, six, seven times. And when he came up, his skin was as clean and pure and healed as a baby's, the Bible tells us. Go and wash in that muddy old river. Let me tell you something that I bumped into. Do you know the one thing that heals leprosy? Leprosy no longer is terminal. Leprosy has virtually gone out of existence in the world today. You know what's happened? They found out what healed it. It was sulfur. Yeah, sulfur heals leprosy. So you don't have any leprosy anymore. When sulfur is applied in the right way, you're cured. So yesterday, I was thinking about it. I said, you know, I wonder what the chemical content is of the Jordan and the Dead Sea. And guess what? It's full of sulfur. Where have all the scientists been all these years? People have suffered and died of leprosy over and over again. All they had to do and read the Bible, they might have picked up the fact that what was it that healed Naaman? It was God, but it's God using the natural resources that were already there, which was sulfur. That muddy old river. Oh, common sinners wise. There's a lot of people here. Yes, right here, right now. We're a lot like Naaman. Well, what will people think if I come down and say, I want my sins forgiven. I received Christ. I wanted to run my life. He hadn't really been running my life. The Holy Spirit hadn't been really leading my life. And you know, we need to go down to that muddy old river. I wonder why the Jordan is muddy. Could it be sulfur content? I don't know. I've been there many times. I've baptized hundreds of people there with catfish running around my feet. Oh, yeah. The humility of Naaman could to say, I want to come to Christ. I want really to let him run my life. I want to be real and transparent in this moment of need of men and women and young people who are real and transparent. So the invitation is very simple. We learn from the wilderness, don't we, that there's no shortcuts to maturity and effectiveness. And we learn at Elam that, boy, we all need to find places where there's 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, maybe right in your house. We all need to humble ourselves enough to know that I want to make sure that I've come to Christ and he's healed me inside and out. 
takes a lot of humility. Naaman had it, and it takes that to be healed, forgiven, to get in the family of God.